This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Fur Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Fur Neiman here again, Dave, for another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Today, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of an update on how to fight back against a city that is being really difficult, in particular, on your ability to utilize your park or in, in, on a per lot basis or in whole as it pertains to bringing in homes and infill. I am in the midst of a lawsuit right now for one of my clients on a, for a city that is being very difficult, very onerous as far as saying, basically, if the lot's vacant, you can't use it. Uh, well, if you, there's a home on it and it goes away, you can't use it. Okay, maybe you can use it, but only to bring in a home that's like basically brand new. Oh, by the way, you got to change out the electric, change out the concrete. Oh, and the new home must be the exact same size. Okay, maybe smaller. Maybe a little bigger. No, no, no. Same size as the previous home. Even if the previous home, by the way, was a 12 by 46 from 1960, um, which obviously is pretty onerous. Um, we see this a lot. We do zoning letters, zoning verification letters for a lot of clients at the law firm. We probably did it in 100 cities in the last year or two. And I tell prospective clients all the time, they're like, well, how do you, can you, how are you going to, how are you going to perform on this? Or are you going to, or how are you going to get this done? And I say, you know, a third of the time, the city pretty much signs anything we put in front of them. Sometimes like 10 seconds later, like they clearly didn't even read the letter. Um, a third of the time, the city will not engage like at all. And they will not sign anything. They won't, sometimes they won't even exist. They won't even reference if there's a zoning code. It's like, I can see there's a zoning code online. But like, no, we won't even speak to that. Um, and then about a third of the time, you, you have to engage and negotiate the city. And this could end up, um, you know, sometimes you get an A plus zoning letter. Sometimes you get an F zoning letter. Ideally, you get at least a B plus zoning letter because you know B plus is that passes and it's, it's not ideal. Um, and this will typically involve you know, legal non-conforming portions of a park or legal conforming some of the intricacies surrounding that. I've got a whole series of episodes on zoning and nonconformity and variances and CU, CUPs and SUPs. So go check out the historical episodes on that. Um, today, I want to talk about um, the lawsuit piece. So when the city, when, the, when you can't convince the city and in most zoning instances, what you'll do is you, you have to get a, a no and, and that, before you can sue. And that's basically, it's called exhausting your administrative remedies, meaning remedies or relief or options through the administrative process and or personnel. So typically you will have to file for a permit or make a formal ask, whatever the city's process is. And it's gonna be very fact specific and code specific, but let's say there's a, a piece of paper that says MH infill permit. You have to fill out the paperwork and you have to get them to say no. If they say yes, well then great, you've got what you want to bring in your house. But if they say no, then you have to see what that city says as far as what's the next step. Sometimes there's an appeal to the city manager or to the mayor or to the city council, sometimes a plan commission. Um, but typically there's some um, formal no, um, maybe the city attorney sends you a letter. And then there's often a, a, a right to appeal at the city level. 
um, you have to do that too. And it's, it's generally just another rubber stamp that says, heck no. Then one option you can pursue is there's several court options you can go to directly. Um, you know, it was either state or federal. Typically, it might make, it, I think it makes, I'm not a litigator, so don't quote me on this, but it makes sense to go federal, um, in particular in a smaller town or region, because the small town attorney may be good friends with the, the small town judge. And they may be fishing buddies from grade school and you're going to get homered. Um, so federal court, federal judges are typically appointed for life and they don't have to worry about reelection. They are less, you know, buddies with the local crowd. So federal court is often better. So after you get the no from the city, then you can, sometimes you can go through a variance. That's often, a, instead of going straight to court, what you typically do, and again, this is very fact specific, so this is not a guaranteed path um, for your particular needs, but, a, but a, a, a common route. In my old law firm, I was at a bigger firm in Kansas City, we sued cities several times and won, and depending on the facts, again, you can sometimes win, and it's a you know, and this and we did zoning law. It's a, a taking by regulation, which is a violation of your constitutional rights. And when you get your civil rights violated, you're eligible for attorney's fees. So if you in a couple instances, we would actually be beat the city. They didn't cave, they didn't settle. We had to go to court, and then they go to appeal from the circuit court to appellate court and or state supreme court. This is these were these were state matters for different reasons, not federal, as I know I just told you to go federal, but. At the end of the movie, our firm won the matter, and then our client had been paying our legal fees along the way. The client was able to get reimbursed the legal fees from the opposing party, which was the city. It's, it's often hard to get attorney's fees. You see it in contracts all the time. Winning party gets attorney's fees. It's pretty tough. Even if the contract says that, a lot of times the court will throw it out just on, based on public policy. They don't want a bunch of people suing. And if you th if, if they give the law, the law firms free, you know, more people will sue if the law firm's like, yeah, I'll even do it on contingent fee or speculatively um, if there's a reasonable chance I'm going to get my legal fees paid. So that it's hard to get legal fees paid. But you can, it's also hard to beat, beat a city. But you can beat a city, and, you, and if you do beat a city, and you, you can get legal fees. Um, so typically go for a variance. It's important when you go for variance to present evidence like a real trial because when you if when you lose at the the variance which is typically through a board of appeals or board of zoning appeals which is typically a volunteer board of citizens in the municipality when you when you go from there after you lose you go to circuit court you don't get a new record at circuit court they review the record of the previous hearing which was the board of zoning adjustment um board of zoning appeals for the variance so that's an important path then you go to circuit court if you win or lose, you can appeal. Then you can go to court of appeals. If you win or lose, sometimes you can go to the state supreme court, but they have to basically select your case. So there's, there's no guarantee. And typically, they won't select your case if it's already been handled, if you will, um, at the supreme court level. They're like, look, there's already precedent. That's the result. So it's got to be a somewhat new, new fact pattern or new information to create new law. So that's the typical route of a lawsuit um, on a zoning matter. Um, Pros and cons, it's, those are hard cases to win because it's because the city, the burden of proof is on the taxpayer, the plaintiff, but then the city sometimes will be given legislative discretion, which basically means if they had some level of rational basis as to why they made an X decision, then it was a, quote, okay decision. 
by the city and then you're and then you're in trouble so you have to generally show that they were arbitrary or capricious or you know perhaps that they were discriminatory against you um which can happen again um but that's one route through the typical zoning lawsuit and 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 i've been part of that and i'm part of that right now on a different matter so and that and that's the that's been you know a good path of action a new path of action it may not new but less common it, there was a group that was talking about it at the, the recent mhi conference and it's going the fair housing route. And I've not gone through a fair housing lawsuit personally. I have utilized the Fair Housing Act and the city discriminatory uh, intent or, or result against the city. It was a city in Texas, actually, that they had a, a law that said, if you own a single family house in town, you can rent it out. If you own 10, you can rent them out. If you own a mobile home, no rentals. I said, well, what's the rational basis for that? They always don't want mobile home rentals. So well, that doesn't feel like a very rational analysis of reason. It feels like, and, I, and this is basically what I actually told them. Um, I said, you know, statistically, people in mobile home parks are less affluent than people who are not in mobile home parks. Statistically, people of color are less affluent than people who are not of color. Statistically, people who rent are less affluent than people who own. So what it feels like is you guys have put a anti-rental law in place that's anti-mobile home, probably for the purpose of being anti-people of color. I said, written another way, I think your ordinance is designed to have no black people in your town. Is that your goal? And they, they jaw drops. And I said, by the way, what's the racial makeup of your town? I'd already looked it up. Uh, conveniently, at this point for me, it was all white. So I said, so it looks like you go, oh, wow, 100% white. You guys are doing a good job on your goals, I guess, aren't you? I said, you know, that really feels like a violation of the Fair Housing Act. And if I file a formal complaint, you're going to have the Department of HUD in your kitchen, and you don't have a lot of leg to stand on. And ultimately, the city uh, chose to revise their zoning ordinance took a couple months to go through the process but we were successful and we never had to file a lawsuit so but you can actually file a lawsuit on a similar claim or a number of different claims and part of the key is 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 the city actions or perhaps not even direct actions are they causing a disparate impact on you or disparate treatment and that's kind of the path you can go down with a lawsuit against against the municipality um, from even fighting it, if you're fighting a denial of a zoning decision, um, you can. That's how you can go down the route. This route typically after you still got to get the no. You still have to exhaust your administrative remedies. But you don't have to file a lawsuit yet on zoning related matters. You can file on fair housing, and typically after you get the no, you got a year to file a complaint with HUD, and or you got and you got two years from there to go to federal court. Um, and if you got a pending HUD complaint, it tolls the clock on the two-year Fed requirement. Um, so what's disparate treatment? Basically, this is if the city is treating you differently and negatively with direct discrimination, unequal treatment, it's an intentional, it's prejudicial actions, or they have different standards for you, disparate treatment. You can also sue. That's going to be less likely and probably more difficult to prove. You can sue based on disparate impact, you know, indirect pain. And there's an unequal consequence. Um, it may not be intentional, 
at least not clearly intentional. There could be actions that are maybe not prejudicial per se, but they're neutral, but the but the result, you know, and same thing, the standards could be the same for you and others, other asset classes, other community owners, but there could be a different consequence. So if you can prove disparate treatment or disparate impact, then you you may have yourself a case. And, and then some people often, not some people, most everybody who I talked about the city issues, they'll say, should we go to the press? Um, and I've heard people that say, yes, go to the press. Um, but some people say, if you go to the press, you get 15 minutes of fame and then the city just moves on. So, you know, a lot of people are of the opinion that the fear of the press is actually more valuable than actually going to the press. So whether you're threatening to go to the press or it's just in everybody's back of everybody's mind that you might go to the press, that could often have more value for you than going to the press. Because once you've rung that bell, you can't really unring it. Um, so ultimately, you, you're going to need to prove um, this path or this result of disparate treatment or disparate impact and and prove there was some sort of discrimination. Sometimes you have to file a lawsuit. If you don't know everything, file a lawsuit through discovery, see if there are emails um, and or text from amongst city officials with, you know, bigotry or other racist or prejudicial language. Um, see how they, if they treat, you know, on the vacant, a lot of times those cities will say, Oh, you move, you know, you, you have 50 pads. You're only using 45. Those other five are abandoned. So I'll tell the city, I'm like, okay, well, I stayed at a Holiday Inn last night. And there were 50 rooms. There were five that were not utilized. Did those rooms cease being hotel rooms? Can the hotel use them the next night? Even if they were vacant for six months. I mean, most hotels are not booked every night. You know, the, you know maybe on Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve, they booked the honeymoon suite but maybe not the rest of the nights because it's too expensive. The first floor room next to the ice machine is probably not the most sought after room. So unless they're at full capacity when, you know, the playoff games in town, you know, or something of the sort, then they're probably not using that room either. So did that room cease being a hotel room? No. Okay. Well, I got 50 mobile home pads. I'm thus far unsuccessful at leasing five of them, but I can assure you if, Somebody with a decent mobile home and a decent background check rolled on in and wanted to pay me $400 a month. I'd say, saddle up, let's go. I'd hook them up, right? Um, so just because it's been vacated does not mean it's no longer a mobile home pad. Now, there, disclaimer, there are laws, there is case law that says a mobile home lot can be abandoned. There's some case law that says it's, it's on a just on a per lot basis, nonconformity. Some says per, it has to be the park at a whole. So very jurisdiction specific, um, but there there is the right, some reasonable right for the municipality to to regulate you via zoning, and some reasonable opportunity for the municipality to basically code out or code away any nonconforming use, not just MH. Um, so the hotel argument is not bulletproof, but it, but it's it's very it often is very helpful. And I've convinced many a city on that argument and a handful of others um, that I have not abandoned the utilization or future utilization of that mobile home site. So one thing you can do, kind of a tip, you know, a way to sniff some of this out is that we generally look at this pre-closing. You know, we do we read the code, talk to the municipality. Sometimes you'll do a pre-closing meeting or a pre-app meeting to get their interpretation of the code. A lot of times attorneys for the city will say, there's our code, it's online, you do it. And I'm like, look, I can read the code, but it's poorly drafted or it's ambiguous or 
I, I want your interpretation. I know what my interpretation is. I, if yours is the same, great. Let's put it in writing. If yours is different, I would like to know that. Because the reality is if, if I've got a problem on the front end with the city um, interpretation of zoning, it's probably not the only problem I'm going to have. I may have code problems. I may have electrical upgrade problems. I may have um, targeting by the police. By the way, if they do that, that's helpful in a discriminatory case because if they're targeting police, if they talk, they use code language like, oh, that's the park full of immigrants. You know, okay, whoa, you know, does that, what does that mean, right? Oh, that's the Spanish park. Sometimes you'll hear that. Well, is that just the way they describe the park or is that their way of talking down about the residents of the park? And does that influence or impact other decisions. So um, if you start to get that kind of vibe from the city, that's probably an indication you're gonna have more problems. So that's why I like to sniff out the zoning on the front end. Um, Cause then you'd hate to, you know, buy something and you'd buy yourself a lawsuit and you got a big problem, but sometimes you got to buy the park anyway, and then just prepare for the lawsuit. Um, you know, and if you're going to go through the lawsuit, you know, you're going to want to hire experts, obviously a lawyer, probably including a local lawyer, um, in addition to somebody who's familiar with either the zoning or the fair housing stuff, um, sometimes a demographer or code expert or other city planners from other cities or a damages expert and appraiser perhaps to build your case. So the, 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 the positive side of going this fair housing route is it, it circumvents the, the normal steps for a zoning related lawsuit. It's a different path. Um, and it's, can be easier to prove discrimination. If you prove there's discrimination present, that could help you out on the zoning and get you legal fees versus just a regular, hey, they won't let me use my lots. Now I got to go through the zoning lawsuit route. But they, the city may have a rational argument. They say, well, yeah, well, the reason we we'll let you use that is because that lot is close to the highway and it could impact you know, safety. Or that, that that lot is close to another lot and the homes be too close, so that could become fire code issue. So the city does have the ability to regulate you for life safety issues. So if you, but 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 not but they can't hang their hat on life safety while also discriminating based on you know, race or religion, for example. So the fair housing route is is a different route. It's gonna be expensive. Um, I don't think you're gonna pull this one off for a twenty thousand dollar lawsuit. Um, I think you're talking hundred plus. And if you go through appeals, perhaps two or three times that. So just something to look for. But during your, while pre-closing, but even if you after closing, just generally, you want to see if the city does something that's not in the normal procedures. If they have additional inspections or different requirements or, um, you know, they check on you or a certain type of person or um, differently than others. Anytime, anytime they do something different, your spidey sense should go up that, hey, they might be targeting us. And we need as soon as you feel like you're being targeted, you need to start to prepare, paper the file, and and test what their actions really are. You know, act and let's see how they react to different things, because you want to avoid, you know, you avoid getting getting snuck up on on a city bringing you pain and you weren't properly prepared. So, in general, you know, if you if you feel like you have disparate treatment or disparate impact you might have a route through the Department of HUD um, for an administrative complaint uh, on fair housing grounds. And that could be a relief to properly uh, infill lots and or just in general, properly run your community. So again, I'm not a litigator, um, but I, I've partnered with some on different, different matters. We'll generally bring in a, a local litigator um, 
and fair housing is another you know quiver uh, or arrow in your quiver when fighting back against a municipality that is inf- infringing on your rights. So until next time, thanks and God bless. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.